You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we're going to talk about training, how to read cues, and decision-making from the players. It's a topic that um, I've been asked a lot lately about how do we, what are the certain cues you look for when you're on the court when it comes to attacking, serving, um, and, and how can we train our athletes to better read these cues? You know, that's a very, very, uh, I think, high demand topic that coaches want to know about. So we're going to talk about that on today's episode. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after a number of years coaching competitive volleyball and as the head coach of the biggest college in Canada, I've become obsessed with helping coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to coach efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is... The Volleyball by Design Podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 100 of the Volleyball by Design Podcast. How is everyone doing out there today? Uh, Another week of volleyball, and I cannot believe that I just said the 100th episode. That is, I mean, I got to take a moment here and just, just take that in. The 100th episode of the Volleyball by Design podcast. That is that is truly amazing. And to all my new listeners, welcome to the podcast. My name is Coach Brian Singh, and I'm the host of the podcast. And if you are a regular listener, as always, you know I appreciate you tuning in to another episode. And I mean, just to, just to sit back and for all of you listeners that have been with me from the beginning um, or who've just you know recently found out found out about this podcast and have been binge listening. I mean, you guys are all part of this journey. And to think, June of 2020 is when I started this podcast. June of 2020, during the pandemic, um, I I decided that you know what uh, I need to. I, I wanted to learn. You know, I wanted to dive into volleyball education a bit more. You know, I had I had the time on my hands. Gym gyms were closed, and I knew and I knew that. I wouldn't get this time again where I can focus 100% on learning and observing as much information as possible because I didn't have practice. I didn't have court time. We, we, we couldn't get in. And then I went out there in search of you know this knowledge. And there wasn't a lot of places you could go to to get this um, with the exception of some you know courses you could take online and things like that. But there was nothing I could just, you know, just just listen to. I guess not, well, not listen to, but... Um, there's a word I'm looking for, but there wasn't there wasn't anywhere I can go with just just get all that information all at once if I wanted to. So I'm like, you know what? Um, I looked, I searched for podcasts, and there are great podcasts out there. By the way, there's a lot of great volleyball podcasts, but there wasn't any that I could kind of you know when I when I listen to it, I'm going to be able to take two or three things away every single episode and apply it in my gym. And that was that was the thing for me that that hit. I was like, I want to I want to create something that. No matter where you are in your volleyball journey, no matter what episode you listen to, you're going to come away in a short amount of time with something tangible that you can take back to your gym. And that was the goal. And that still is the goal of every episode that I release. I want to make sure that you get tangible things to take back to your gym. And I had a, I had someone reach out to me before and said, coach, you're, you're going to run out of things to say. And I, 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 I laughed. I was like, not a chance, not with our game. With volleyball, there will never 
be things that I'll run out of say because our game is changing all the time. There's new strategies, new tactics. People are coming out with new creative ways of playing this game. Um, and it's it's incredible. And I'm going to stay up to date with all that information. And because, because of this show, it allows me to attract those fantastic people I can bring on and talk about you know new and exciting things that are happening in the game or things that they're seeing success in their gym with. And that's what it's all about. You know, that's what it's all about. It's about making sure that we stay on top of it. I share that with you because I know a lot of you may not have access to certain resources or uh, or up to, up to date uh, information on what's going on in the world of volleyball. And there's really there's really no forum to go by. You know, I always talked with with national coaches, and I'm like, hey, where do you guys find the updated research? You know, where do you guys find this information? And they're like, there's no real place. It's kind of just word of mouth. And oh, I found out someone did a, a study on this. Or did a test on this and there's no actual database we can go it's not like there's a volleyball encyclopedia uh, that you can go get so i'm hoping that this show is able to keep you up to date give you tangible things you can take back to your gym and i'm just i'm super excited that we were able to hit this 100th episode milestone it's pretty cool so i remember when i hit the 50th episode milestone i did a, i did a contest but I feel like the contest, it was great, by the way, but there wasn't a lot of people that participated. And I was like, you know what? Mind you, the show is a lot bigger than it was at the 50th episode, but I don't want to do another social media contest. Just no, not yet, at least. So I said, you know what? Uh, I was thinking, what is a way that I can reward the listeners who have been, you know, you guys have been amazing to listen to the episodes and and stay up with the podcast because the podcast has been growing every month, which I'm super appreciative, by the way. We're getting more and more listeners every month. So I'm like, you know what? Let me try to figure out something that I can do. And I want to, so what I want to do is I want to put an offer out there to the listeners who, you know, are listening consistently, or even if you just found the podcast, but want to, you know, just are truly appreciate the show and are and, and are ready to be an avid listener or you already are a listener. So here here's what I want you to do. I'm still not sure what I'm going to do yet, but I want you to reach out to me on Instagram. Okay, my Instagram is Singh underscore Coach B, and I'll put it in the show notes. And just reach out and say, you know, with at, at, with, with the hundredth episode, I just want to and, and just reach out and say, just want to say hi or or, or thank you or um, the, I, I'm you know my name is. My name is Jason, and, I, and I'm a listener. And I want to get all those people and just see, and I want to just connect with you. You know, uh, I haven't decided what I might do. Maybe I'll do like a Q&A session with you guys. Maybe I'll do just uh, do something. I want to do something where I can show you my appreciation for being a listener. Um, and, 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 and that's the only way, that's the best way I can feel is to actually connect with you. So if you are a listener and you would like to connect with me, I I, uh, I encourage you to hit me up on Instagram, Singh underscore Coach B. I'll put it in the show notes as well. And just, you know, drop a hello, a comment. Uh, just send me a DM and I, I'll check my DMs and I'll make sure that I get back to you. All right. Just want to make sure that, you know, just to thank you and see if I can help in any way. All right. I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to, what I plan on doing, but you'll, uh, I'll, I'll definitely hit you back up when you respond, when you uh, reach out to me on Instagram and we'll take it from there. Okay. All right. I've been talking for a little over six minutes now. I, I'll, let's, let's get to today's episode. I, you know what? I wanted to spend some time just thanking you guys and reflecting on the, on the year long or two year long journey to get to episode 100. It's, it's been incredible. And let's talk today about cue reading. All right. Cue reading, decision making. How do we train it? How do we do it? So the first thing that I will say about cue reading is that cue reading comes with experience. Okay, so let's start with that. 
It comes with experience. You're not going to, you know, it's one of those things where you can teach certain things, but the more the athlete sees it, the more they're going to be more comfortable with it. And sometimes athletes will notice things on their own when they get more experience in the game. And that's the best ultimate way of learning is for them to start noticing things on their own. Because when they start noticing things on their own, great things happen and they become better and smarter volleyball players. So experience, that's kind of like strategy number one, if you want to call it that. The more they get to play the game, the more they get to get that experience, they're going to become better at reading the game. And that's with any sport. And it's something that we as coaches can also do in practice is have them, I know I know we have our, our there, there's a time and a place for organized drills, you know, certain things where they're getting multiple repetitions, where they're training a certain skill. And I got no problem with that. There's absolutely a time and place. But I want to make sure you're also spending time playing the game. Six on six volleyball, playing the game, even three on three, two on two, four on four, playing the game of volleyball. Those are all examples where they'll develop their cue reading ability based on the experience that they're going to get from playing this game. So that's the first thing is let's try to have them play a lot more um, than than they are currently are doing. All right, that's that's one thing I'll, I'll challenge you coaches to do. Now let's go to specific cues. I know I know coaches, you guys want the specific cues on things you can tell your players, and I'm definitely going to help you out with that. So let's start talking about serving. Um, I'll give you guys a, a couple cues per per skill here. I guess you want to call it that. So when it comes to serving, all right. I say there's two different types of serves, okay? You got the spinner and you got the floater. And we interpret these two serves a little bit differently. So a spin serve, if you notice as a receiver that the the server is tossing the ball and spinning the ball, that is an indication that it's going to be a spin serve. Guess what? You just read, you read a cue. That is a cue right there. Simple, but it's true. It's a cue. And when you read that cue, your decision now is going to be to move back because if someone's spin serving, there's not a lot of players that are going to be spin serving in between the attack line and the net. Y'all, you guys agree with that? A spin serve is going to go deeper. It's not going to go shorter unless it's a roll shot. And in that case, the ball is going to be super slow where you'll be able to react and go accordingly. But in terms of a spin serve, it's going deep into the court. So once we see the server toss the ball and it's spinning, we're going to step back. And we're going to play the ball because we know it's going to be coming further back. Now, float serve is the opposite. With a float serve, we want to take the ball a little bit earlier. We don't want the ball to be delayed in the air because the longer the ball stays in the air, the more damage it can do. It can, you know, change. It, it can change direction a little bit more. It can catch you off guard a little bit more because it has more room to operate. So we want to take it off early. So when we have a float serve, we want to step up. Now, this becomes even more crucial if you're teaching your players how to hand pass. If we are hand passing, meaning we're taking the ball with our hands and it's a float serve, you definitely want to move up. And I've seen coaches train this where they have their athletes pretty much standing on top of the attack line or right behind the attack line where that's where they're taking the ball to pass with their hands. But the cue still remains the same. Spin serve, you move back. Float serve, you move up. All right, now let's let's go to blocking. Transition to blocking in terms of reading the hitter. Now, let's start with this uh, very, very common phrase that I know many of you heard is this ideal of ball setter, ball hitter. And what this means is, 
And by the way, some of the language is changing now, um, but I'll just I'll start with the basic ball setter ball hitter strategy, and that is ball setter ball hitter. We identify where the ball is, then we identify where the setter is because the ball is going to get passed to the setter. So the setter is the second cue. Then we identify where the setter is setting the ball, and then we identify the hitter. So ball setter ball hitter. Now the most important part of this sequence is when the setter releases. When the setter sets the ball, we have to do two things. We have to identify where did that setter set the ball? Did they set it to middle, right side, pipe, left side, okay? That's the first. We also wanna know is that once we've identified where the setter set the ball, we wanna know location of that ball and we wanna know speed of that ball. Is that ball slow, is it fast? How's that ball looking? Once we've identified the location of the ball, we got to focus our eyes on the hitter because the hitter is going to tell you everything else because the hitter has to go to where the ball is. So the ball becomes irrelevant at that point. We need to focus on the hitter and the hitter is going to tell you exactly what they're going to do. So once you as a blocker have identified that the ball is going to the left side, we need to move our heads and coaches. This is where you look at your athlete's eyes because this is all about eye sequencing. If you notice that when the setter releases, when the setter sets the ball, look at your athlete's eyes. And if you notice that their eyes are looking at the ball and their head is probably tilted up a little bit, then they're ball watching. They're not reading, they're ball watching. And what happens is if they spend too much time looking at the ball, by the time they focus on the hitter, they're nowhere near the hitter and the hitter has a perfect seam to swing. And that's a problem, we don't want that. So once that they have identified that the ball is going to the left side, boom, eye sequence shifts to the left side, blockers transition, and they try to block the ball. And that is reading, that's your cue reading. So bang, ball goes to the setter, setter sets, Blockers move their head to the hitter, eye sequencing goes to the hitter, and then they can do their footwork accordingly. So a lot of times, as a cue as you coaches to look at is, look at the blocker's eyes, because what you'll, what you'll notice is, if the blockers are late, chances are they were ball watching. Unless it's like a really super fast tempo ball and they weren't and they were doing everything right and they're late, then they're late. There's nothing you can do about that. But for the time being, you know, when a set, look at the set, look at the blocker's eyes, and see how long they're looking at the ball. If they're like, you know how you can tell when the eyes are going up and then their eyes are going back down and then it's too late, they're, the hitter got the ball. That's how you can tell when they're rolling their eyes up and back down. So look at look for that, okay? Even the head, you can see the head tilt. That's another giveaway. So that's what we wanna do, all right? As blockers, we wanna make sure that we're watching the hitter and taking the hitter out. You know, the, the pin blocker is gonna come and line up with the center of their body taking out the hitting shoulder and the middle blocker is going to try to come over and close and put up a good double block. Now, let's talk about a little bit about backcourt here, okay? Backcourt reading. So backcourt reading really is, there's two things. So the player's backcourt have to look at two things. They have to look at one, the blockers, and two, the hitters. Now, what they do first is irrelevant because it happens really fast that it's almost like you don't have to look at the block first and the hitter second, but chances are that's kind of the order that you're going to look at it most of the times, to an extent, unless there's a huge seam and then the hitter is wide open and there's no block to look at. So the reason why we need to look at the block is because if the block is sealed, so this is a read, coaches, if they, your hitters have to have the ability to recognize when a block is sealed, 
Because if a block is sealed, for example, then your you know the the players on the pins, so the player in position one and five, they're going to be kind of playing a little bit more up to play those tips, and the player in position six is going to be further back because they're going to play the hands. Okay. Now, if there's a seam in the block, meaning there's a gap in the block, then the players are going to move up into that seam to play defense because now the attacker should swing seam. Why would the attacker not swing seam? You know, why would the attacker swing to where? A blocker is they win it's they'll swing to where a blocker isn't so they're going to swing seam and your backcourt defense needs to recognize that there's a seam in the block and move up so they have a shot at playing defense now i will say if there's a seam in the block the attackers should score so don't penalize your team for not digging the ball if there's a seam in the block because our volleyball is designed for the offense to score it's just the way it is it's designed for the offense to score you know, so with with no, it's not like, it's not like basketball where if you have an open shot, you know, they should, they should hit it, right? They, they, they should hit it. There's nothing you do. They should hit it with volleyball. Actually, in that, in that case, it is the same because in volleyball, if there's an open swing, they should score. There's no like, you know, they should definitely score. But in basketball, it's a different, it's just, you know, the shooter in the net in volleyball, you could actually have a shot at digging the ball back up. But I digress. The point is, is that they should score. Nine out of 10 times, they should score. So don't feel bad if they score. That's their job. Okay. A couple other things that we can look at when it comes to uh, the hitter again and the setting. Now, another cue here. If the setter sets the ball outside, like the ball is traveling and it's going outside the antenna, meaning the hitter is contacting the ball outside the antenna, not inside the antenna, outside the antenna towards this you know outside the sideline then are they going to hit line they're probably not going to hit line so our backcourt defenders now have no reason to be playing along the line they can move in towards the court because that way they'll be in a better position to dig the ball because they know the hitter can't hit line he's he's contacting the ball behind the antenna which means it's going to be a heavy cross-court shot that is something we have to be aware of blockers need to be aware of that as well they're all the way outside. Think about where your block is going to establish now. It's going to be different than an in-system ball. Now, if the ball is set really inside, okay, so not in location four, maybe it's set like little between three and four, between location three and four, then I'm talking left side position here now, okay? So both of those examples that I gave could be left side and right side. But now left side position. If it's set inside the court, I guess same thing with right side, doesn't matter. Inside the court, are they likely going to try to rotate and swing line? Probably not. That's a tough shot. If a ball is set inside for them to turn and swing line, unless unless they're coming in on a straight line, then they can hit line. But if they're coming in on an angle because they, you know, normally on a left side position, they're coming in outside the court because the ball is going to, you know, be set into that left side location. But if they're coming in outside the court and the ball is set inside, it's very, very difficult for them to swing lines. So your your uh, backcourt defense can recognize that, especially the players in position one and five, and they can move in a little bit to play that ball, okay? So there's another couple cues there when it comes to setting location based on you know what the hitters can do with that setting location. All right, let's move on to setter. Let's talk about the setter a little bit here, okay? So the setter, uh, there's a couple things. now. These, these rules, the, the cues here that I'm about to give you are general. 
When you have fantastic setters, these cues may not apply. But generally speaking, here is two things that you can take with you. The first is if the ball is, sorry, let me rephrase this. If the setter's hips are in front of the ball, so if you're driving, don't close your eyes. But if you're not driving, close your eyes and imagine the setter is about to set the ball, but the setter's hips are in front of the ball, meaning the ball is going to be set pretty much towards the, like, like on the setter's back almost because their hips are in front of the ball. And if that's the case, if they're contacting the ball behind their head, chances are they're not going to set the left side position. They're not because the left side position it's a really tough ball to set that, and they're probably going to get called on a on a lift or a carry because, you know, you're 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 almost throwing the ball if you're setting it behind your head to a front court player, like in front of you rather. So if the ball is if the hips are in front of the ball and the contact is behind the head, it's going right side. We can we can almost guarantee it's going to go to the behind the setter. If they set the ball well in front of their forehead. So if the setter is contacting the ball well in front of their forehead, then chances are they're going to set in front of them to maybe a middle or a left side position. They're not going to set behind them, or again, they risk carrying the ball. So those are two simple ones, you know, hips in front of the ball, they're probably going right side or behind. Setter contacts the ball well in front of the setter's forehead, it's probably going to go left side, okay? So things like that. You can, you know, you can, you can play with a little bit. Now back to the hitter. You know, the hitter is now this. This one's a little bit tough because you know, I remember a lot of coaches say if the hitter drops their shoulder, they're going to tip uh, and certain things like that. But in our game, and the game is moving, where hitters are being so creative that if a left side drops their shoulder, that doesn't mean they're going to tip. Normally it does. So you could look at that cue. Normally it does. But sometimes hitters are very creative and they can still swing cross body and do some crazy things with the ball. I've seen it at all types of levels. So with the hitters now, this is one of those things where it's going to be a very tough thing to read. Generally speaking, if a hitter drops their shoulder, they're probably going to tip, but not always. And also look at the hand of the hitter too. If a hitter is getting ready to swing and they're contact and they're like rotating over really nice and high, if they if all of a sudden they um, bring their fingers in, that generally means they're, they're going to tip the ball if they're bringing their fingers in. Um, but it's so hard. It's for, for the hitter one, it's really hard to, to specify certain cues only because hitters are so creative now. That's why I'm very hesitant when I say, you know, dropping shoulder, fingers are coming together because hitters are so creative these days that they're, um, you know, they're, they're doing a lot of great things with the ball that, you know, it's not always that way. So something just to, just to keep in mind, just to keep in mind, because you never know what situation you're going to be in. One thing that I will say is as a, as a coach, we look at game tape a lot and you can start seeing tendencies from hitters. So when you see a hitter, for example, you know, drop a shoulder and that is where they know like, that's what they normally do when they tip then that's a cue that you can tell your players and then they can actually go and read that and go for it, okay? So things like that, you gotta be very careful with with the type of cues you tell an offensive player because offensive players are getting so creative in our world now that you gotta be careful. (laughs) You just gotta be careful, okay? I do wanna say one thing about reading cues though is that you have to teach your players to trust their read. We have to trust their read. 
So the minute that the hitter gives away that they're going to tip the ball, right? And and again, the, the, you you can tell when the hitters are going to tip the ball, right? At, when when they commit to it, when they commit to that tip, then you read, then you go. But like, there's no cue before that. You have to see them commit to the tip. So once they commit to the tip, we have to trust that read and go accordingly. So for example, the player in position one backcourt. When the player in position one backcourt and the left side says they're going to tip, they show they're going to tip, then that player needs to move up and play the tip. What I see a lot of times happen is the players read the tip, but they don't trust their read and they end up staying in their neutral position when they should be moving up to play the tip. Because when you play the tip or when you read the tip, now we have to act accordingly and move up to play the tip. I said tip quite a lot in that sentence. But you understand what I'm saying? So make sure that when, you, when you're working with your players, I, don't, I never have a problem with a player reading wrong, by the way. If they read wrong, I'm okay with that. I have a problem if they guess. That's where I have issues with. So as long as my players are demonstrating that they're trying to read and that they're trusting their read, I can live with that. I can live with players trusting their read and going from there. But I want them to get used to that. I want them to see them do that. So that's a conversation you have with your players. Make the read and then trust it and go for it. And if you're wrong, you're wrong, but we're going to get better at it. I promise you, we will definitely get better at it. Okay? So we talked about a lot of things here. Let's just uh, recap real quickly. We talked about... Uh, like, you know, the serve, so spin versus float, you know, moving back on the spin, moving up on the float. We talked about blocking in terms of reading seams, ball setter, ball hitter, eye sequencing, focusing on the hitter. Uh, we talked about the fact that if a ball is set outside the antenna, the likelihood of it going line is unlikely, so we got to move in. Same thing if the ball is set inside. We talked about the setter hips. If the hips are in front of the ball, probably going right side. If the hips are behind the ball and the setter is well, like the ball is well in front of the setter's forehead, probably going to the left side position or somewhere in front of them. Okay. And then we talked about uh, certain decisions when it comes to um, reading hitters and things like that. Uh, but the last thing I want to end off with, okay, so for first of all, I hope, I hope those are some good cues that you can take back with you and, you know, uh, see how you can train your players to see those kind of things and trust those reads. And the last thing I want to talk about when it comes to cue reading is this concept of contextual cues. And contextual cues, I actually got this this term from a coach out here in Toronto. Uh, his name is Keith Wozniak, and he's a uh, high, high, high level coach. And uh, he talks about this concept of contextual cues. And basically what this is, is there's cues that we have to focus on that are not related to the attacker, for example, like in terms of attacking cues, you know, like looking at the shoulder or looking at the hands or serving cues, but rather the environment, like contextual cues of what's happening in the game. So things like the score. If the score is a certain thing, sometimes that may be a cue by itself to tell you what the hitter is going to do. Like, for example, if you're playing against a team and the game is 25-24 your advantage and they get set the ball, their behavior might be different based on the score. This team may be a team who's done something in the past where they'll play it safe instead of going at the ball. And if you know that, that's a cue in itself because you can recognize that and play accordingly. You know, the environment, is it a cra crazy crowd? What kind of environment are you playing in? That's a contextual cue because, you know, certain teams play way better when there's a, a, a large crowd versus a small crowd, like things like that play into it uh, as well. It, you know, also the level of anxiety, the level of excitement, you know, things like that, which also play into the environment. What about your opponent's history? 
Do they have a history of doing certain things? Those are cues too. Their game plan, like what's the game plan? That is part of cue reading as well. So these are things, contextual cues, where not necessarily related to the specific cue of the skill, but cue of the game, the environment. So those are things that you might want to pay attention to as well when it comes to looking at cue reading, okay? So I gave a, a pretty brief cue reading uh, lesson here in terms of things like that. Um, there, we can go into a lot more detail, but I want to be very specific and to the point with this episode when it comes to cues because these are simple things you can start off with and actually help your team right now. Just the mere fact of like the serving cue, moving back and moving forward, that slight change in your serve receive can help your team pass better. You know, the blocking cues, that simple cue of focusing on the hitter can help your players not be as late as they would have been before or better yet, get better blocks because now they're focused on what matters, which is the hitter. You know, little things like that, that I think will help your translate into points for your team right away. Okay. Now, if you are a DVA member, a Digital Volleyball Academy member, I'm actually going to be going into a, a deeper live training that you're going to get access to. And if, if, if you're listening to this past um, what is it? The 22nd of May. I think I'm going to be doing this live training. Um, you can watch the replay inside DVA where we're going to dive a little bit more deeper into cues and cue reading. And I'll be able to show you stuff on the iPad. Um, but that's just inside DVA. So just, just for my DVA members, just a heads up, there'll be more coming. And if you are a D, um, a volleyball by design listener, and you would like to be a digital volleyball Academy member, head on over to digitalvolleyballacademy.com and, uh, and sign up there. And um, if you don't know what Digital Volleyball Academy is, uh, it's basically my signature membership where I get to work with coaches from around the world and help them and provide mentorship, give them clarity, you know, welcome them into my gym and my college gym so they can see what we do behind the scenes. Welcome, they, they come into our film sessions and all virtually, by the way, get, they get access to my film sessions, my practice plans. They get to see what we do in our practices and our game planning. And it's just a nice opportunity for coaches just to get that mentorship and those resources so that in theory, they could become more confident coaches. They can know how to run a championship program, a successful volleyball program. What does that look like? How do you set that up? What's the structure of a successful volleyball program? And what are the ingredients and how to put it together? Well, I teach them all that inside DVA. So it's a really cool mentorship program. And not to mention, you get access to you know a great group of coaches going along the same journey as you are. We have over 200 coaches in DVA. And I'm really, really proud of the academy I created. I really wish that someone like this existed when I was a coach coming up. Because, you know... I always talk. I, I, I mean, you, I'm sure you've heard me talk about this a million times. But you know, when I was a young coach, I would go to YouTube and Google anytime I had a question, anytime I had a problem, until I found a mentor, and that significantly changed my life. I think I learned more in the mentor in three weeks than I did in the previous three years because you know I could lean on their experience. So mentorship was a huge, huge part of my life. So I was, I'm super happy that I'm able to provide this cool mentorship membership for my members. Um, to give them access so they can get answers right away. They don't have to wait. They don't have to look it up. They get answers right away so they can grow faster. All right? So that's DVA. Head on over to digitalvolleyballacademy.com and you can uh, get signed up over there. And for my uh, for everyone else, listen, thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. I really appreciate it. The 100th episode. Feel free to reach out to my Instagram and we can kind of take it from there so we can get a chance to connect and things like that. All right? My Instagram is Singh underscore Coach B. It will also be linked up in the show notes. Other than that, I will see you guys next week on another episode of the Volleyball by Design Podcast. Take care. All right? Cue the music. Look. 
Are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training and instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days? When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.